Hello there guys and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week I am pleased to announce the third return of one of my favourite guests, Goff of Beernuts Productions. Now, if you haven't checked out previous episodes of Genuine Chit Chat, I believe 45 and I think 65 or 68, uh, the previous two episodes that feature Goff. And essentially, he is a blind filmmaker from Australia who writes his own material, uh, acts in it. Um, he helps edit it. He's created a documentary where he did 100% of everything himself. Um, he does all of it. And he has his own production company, Beer Nuts Productions. So that's basically what we're talking about today. Now, this chat normally would be split into two parts, but I'm going to be releasing them as standalone episodes because this one that you're listening to now is all about his new movie, How to Treat Women, as well as at the end we speak about the bushfires a little bit. And then the episode that's going to be out next week, even though it was within the same conversation, is actually going to be speaking about the documentary he made, uh, which kind of sparked off Beer Nuts Productions, which was around 10 years ago. So a couple of little bullet points before the chat gets started. Uh, essentially, we speak about the challenges of making a mockumentary, especially for someone who's a blind individual. Um, we speak about comedic timings, actor chemistry, some of the backlash that Goff has received from some of his comedic movies and things, because um, all of his recent movies have been mockumentary style and they're very comedic, whereas his first one was a documentary. And yeah, that's more or less it. We just kind of talk about how to make a film, the difficulties that come with making a mockumentary, some of the things I liked about his new film, How to Treat Women, and it's it's really good to listen to this if, and then to go watch the film itself on Beer Nuts Productions because it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then, yeah, as I say, towards the end, we talk about the bushfires a little bit because even though at the moment everyone's going mental for sort of COVID-19, the coronavirus, and obviously everyone's on lockdown and things, um, when I recorded this, which was about two months a month to two months ago bushfires were the big thing at the time so that's why the conversation kind of goes to there now before the chat gets started there'll be a quick promo with a friend of mine called frank burton he has been a guest on the show a couple of times in the past and i believe the next episode i'll be releasing after next week's one with golf is likely to be with frank about the book that this trailer is for so if you like the promo i've included a link in the description to that uh, but apart from that guys after that it'll get straight into the chat so thanks as always for listening and i'll speak to you all at the end of the chat hello frank my dad kidnapped me once a holiday is what this will be you and me son on 12th of october 2004 my dad popped out to buy a bottle of milk and never came back frank burton that's my name as well, I'm Frank Jr. Of course, your investigation. I know about your secret flat. I have an irrational fear of traffic wardens. Stop sticking your nose into matters that don't concern you. I was Frank Burton's wife and Frank Burton's mother. That was everything I am. Maybe it's like kosher or halal? Kosher or halal bacon, that's a new one. Everything I am. You and me, son. Everything I am. Everything I Am is the brand new novel by the author and podcaster Frank Burton. Available as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook, which is currently available for Name Your Price. Find all the details at frankburton.co.uk. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton.
There we go. Because I know what will happen. Because you and I have some great conversations, and if I don't press record quick enough, what will happen is we'll have a great 20-minute conversation about something, and then <laughs> it won't be on, on air. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, IT Crowd is... I've stopped recording now for clarity. Um, IT Crowd is is brilliant. I mean, I, I saw it... I didn't see it when it first came out. I saw it, I think, after Series 4 finished, and I got like all of the DVDs uh, dating... I almost put my age now, some of the younger generation listening, being like, what the hell's a DVD? Um, <laughs> I, I bought the whole box set, the four, the four seasons, and I got it for like, I think it's like 10 quid or something in HMV. Um, and then I just binge-watched it all. And I just think all of the actors are so brilliant, and there's so so many episodes and so many moments that are just so, so funny. And it's yes. not like many other shows, I find. Yeah, no, well, well the, the the three of them, to, I mean, I know you've got the side actors and all that sort of stuff as well, but the main three, uh, I mean, I love Richard Awadi, I think is just hilariously funny. And uh, Chris O'Dowd, I really, I mean, he, he's uh, done some great film work and all sorts of great stuff, but uh, he's he's incredibly funny as well. And uh, is it Catherine? Oh, I forget her last name now, but she, she was, I mean, they were all fantastic. I think uh, that's what made it, I mean, it was wonderfully scripted but i just uh, yeah the whole the whole thing of it was just great but uh, yeah so uh, yeah the whole uh, turn it off and turn it on again it uh, it definitely <laughs> does uh, it definitely i like there was an episode where he just had it on uh, a tape recorder so he didn't even have to answer <laughs> the phone it just did it all for him very very funny Oh, I loved it too. And the thing of the character, uh, Jen, played by uh, Catherine, and I can't remember her surname either, so if she's listening, sorry. Um, it's uh, her character being so IT inept was also a really, really brilliant for two like massive IT nerds. And I think there's one episode where they talk about the internet and they trick her into thinking that it's, there's just this box that is the internet. It's a box with a red button yeah. on the top. <laughs> exactly and she starts to get everyone in the office like freaking out about the internet and stuff and it's like that is so good because so many people in the offices who work with technology all day because i've worked in offices uh most of my adult life and you do get certain people who they know so little about computers just because of you know it's not a problem necessarily but they do know so little you could almost say something that seemingly ridiculous to them and they would believe you so it's even more funny in that respect and uh Yes, speaking of funny things, uh, obviously talking to you for the, I think it's the third time you've been on the uh, the show and you've got a new film out, uh, How to Treat Women. And I watched that uh, a couple of days ago and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So uh, for any listeners who, uh, they should have listened to the other episodes and I'll make it in my intro, I'll say, go on, go listen to the other ones, they're great. Um, but just as a quick sort of uh, premise, what uh, what inspired you to make it and why do you make comedy films, I guess, in a really broad way? <laughs> Well, well, in regards to this particular film, I mean, it's about feminism. And I thought, who better to make a film about feminism than a 38-year-old blind, single, straight male? I think I'm the perfect person <laughs> to make a film about feminism. So that's what I did. So, <laughs> but look, uh, as, as you know, Mike, because uh, like you say, we've spoken a few times now, I like to grab subjects that people are really quite uh, sensitive and touchy about. I mean... Previously, we've done uh, prostitution and we've done pornography and we've done drugs and we've done the environment and a few others. And I love to get those sorts of subjects and just rip them apart, you know, and, and see, uh, just make fun of it from every angle. Because, I mean, there is a time, obviously, to have a serious conversation about these things. But there's also a time to have a laugh and to loosen up and to have a bit of a joke as well. And so hopefully I provide the, uh, the comedy context for uh, for this particular subject of feminism. And uh, when I was writing it, because obviously there's a, a whole bunch of different ways you can go about writing a mockumentary, 
I thought to myself, the best way for this one is if I do it in segments. So we've got the four different segments. We've got uh, how to encourage women. We've got how to communicate with women, uh, equal rights, treating women fairly, and also, or unfairly as the case may be in mine, and also (laughs) the last one being contact, uh, both physical contact and verbal contact as well. So so how to uh, so they're the four sort of segments that sort of falls under. Mm, yeah, and I found that it was um that was really cool. And it was I think it tied it together really well. And I said uh, briefly off air, it was the I think the first one um, about encouragement, where it's got um the actor playing the daughter and then the the two uh, parents on the sofa and they're talking about sort of jobs and things. Um, I was so. I wouldn't say surprise, that makes it sound demeaning, but I was in, I was very impressed by seeing that you could clearly see there were essentially no cuts. It was done in one big take, essentially. And it was for, especially comedy films and films in general a lot of the time, you don't often get that quite as much. And so, like, do you find, uh, do you find it was difficult to sort of get them to do that? Or did you tell them beforehand and they kind of just got on with it? Well, yeah, there's a few things uh, behind that. So firstly, I was having a chat to my production man, Simon, because you are quite right. You don't usually see that kind of a style. And I like doing it and I like doing it. And I think it's because of my disability, because I can't see. uh, When Well, taking it even further, when you can't see, obviously you miss out on a lot of things, like just because that's just how it is. I mean, I can't just jump in my car and drive down to the shops or, or you know, little things. Like, I, I, there's a lot of things you miss out on when you can't see. So when you've got an opportunity to actually do something, you absolutely 100% do it and you do it in a, in a big way, right? So uh, mm. going back to my sort of filming style, I think that comes into it in regards to I don't want to miss out on anything. So I want to see the actor's reactions to when other characters are speaking. I don't want a close-up because then if there's a close-up of the daughter, let's say, you miss out on the reaction of the two parents. Or if there's mm. a close-up of the two parents, you're not seeing the daughter's reaction. And I think the, the reaction of actors can give you just as big a laugh as what the actual dialogue from the other person is. So I think it's all about the, uh, the fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on anything, so I make sure that everything is on screen so that the audience can look at everything. They can see everything that's going on. So that's why I'm a big fan of those big wide shots where you see absolutely everything. And, and also I think it means that the, the viewer can also choose what they want to look at. So if they want to pay a particular attention to a certain actor for whatever reason, they absolutely can do that. So I, I do like that sort of style a lot more for, for those sorts of reasons. Uh, in regards to that particular take, you're correct. It was uh, one big long take. It's I think it goes for about eight and a half to nine minutes. Uh, so when the actors were cast, they were told that's how it was going to be filmed, and they were given like three months to learn their lines. So they had plenty of time to learn their lines, <laughs> and I rehearsed them obviously quite heavily as well. So they knew exactly how I wanted it delivered. So they knew all of that sort of stuff well in advance. So they had plenty of time to prepare. And I also told them that uh, the best way to think about it is if you think about it as a stage play, you're performing in a stage play, it's not a movie. And that way it doesn't seem as daunting to do nine minutes of dialogue because, I mean, if you're on stage doing a stage play, you're going to be doing 45 to 90 minutes. So if you think of it just down to nine minutes, well, that's a piece of cake compared to 45. So that was how I sort of, got around sort of psychologically sort of tricking them into thinking that 
it wasn't a big deal when obviously it is because it, it was quite funny on the particular take that we used I'm standing in the background and when it got to about the seven minute mark in the back of my mind I'm going don't fuck this up please don't fuck this this is a really good take I don't want to have to do this again this was really good don't mess it up so yeah, when it was getting towards the end, I was getting a little bit anxious because they were really killing it. and I wanted it to continue and luckily for me, it did. So, yeah. Yeah, and I found that, that if, if it was described to someone without pricing the film, any of your other films, saying like almost a nine minute, for lack of a better word, almost like a bit, essentially, with, with it staying with one premise, <clears throat> if I'd have been told beforehand, oh, there's a nine minute bit and it's just one premise, I'd have been like, how... How's that going to work out? But the way you did it, I find that you did it really well with pacing and things where you've got it where I won't spoil it. I specifically didn't write down any notes of the dialogue because I think that this one in particular has got some of my favorite uh, lines in it that I've, I've heard in in any of the uh, the films of yours that I've seen. And I just thought some of the, the lines are absolutely fantastic. And with that one in particular... Where it's the, the the kind of bit such as her, you know, saying jobs and then the parents saying reasoning why she couldn't do that and things. You know, every time there's one which is more normal and things, it kind of gets balanced out by the next one normally being a bit more ridiculous. And it kind of, I find that it really balanced out really well. And if you had a bit of a, almost like a lull in a sense of like two or three that weren't necessarily hilarious, then the fourth hit out the park. And I found it was constantly that while I was watching it. So... In that sort of regard with uh, the writing of this one, do, when you write your films, um, do you do you already have like a lot of kind of things vaguely written about and then you kind of tweak them and enhance them for when you're going to make the film? Or do you kind of go, okay, I've got the budget to make a film now. I'm going to start from zero and go from there. Well, sort of, there's a few answers to that. So um, mm. in regards to that particular scene, when I was writing it, you, you may find this of interest. So obviously the two parents are putting down the young girl who, who's, you know, and so I wanted the two parents to sound like two peas in a pod, you know, they needed to sound like the same person. So when I was writing that, I wrote it as one character and then I just divided it up after it was written. So like the father gets that sentence, mother gets that sentence, father gets that sentence, mother gets that sentence. And that way I found that it was easier that because I wanted the parents to really sound almost identical and so that was the best way I found to do that in regards to uh, the pacing of it well I, I edit my scripts a lot so yeah and also what I think really helps again it's just one of those things with my disability so my computer speaks to me so mm. my scripts get actually read to me through the computer so I think that actually helps because you're actually hearing the words being said to you and obviously when you hear something being said to you instead of it just being said in your brain you can hear the pacing and see if it, if it's working and so I did as you might have been able to tell uh, when she comes out with the different jobs that she wants to do I, I did swap them around quite a bit through the writing process you know I'll move that one up and I'll move that one down and sort of you know that kind mm. of stuff so that did happen quite a bit with that one to make it in my opinion just right to make sure that kind of like you said earlier you know we wouldn't have for example, two jobs that were really similar close together or, you know, you'd have two jobs that could flow into each other, flow into it, that sort of thing. So I did uh, sort of come up with the job and then the insults that would go with it, then the next job and the insult. And then once it was done, I sort of cut and paste and, and did all that sort of stuff at the end with that particular scene. Uh, in regards to the piece as a whole, 
I, I knew I wanted to do feminism as a subject, so I wrote the piece reasonably quickly, and then it takes a long time to edit. So a couple of months worth of reading it through and editing it and editing it and editing it. So yeah, so the actual the, the block of the work is done quite quickly, but then it takes a long time for me to to edit the piece to make it just exactly how I want it to be. So yeah. I know that from our previous chats as well, I think you said that once you've kind of got the the gears in motion, you want to hit the ground running. And once you've got sort of the script all sorted, and then once you've got all the casting done and things, and I think I remember you saying before, you once everything's kind of, in a sense, got the green light to go from obviously yourself and everyone being ready, you try and get everything uh, sort of filmed and recorded really quickly and released quite soon, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So pre-production uh, for this one was about three months. So we started in November and filmed it in February. But yeah, so it was one day of filming, then one day of editing, and then it's to the IT people the next day and up on the website. So there's no mucking around. So yeah, once uh, everybody's ready to rock and roll, we get straight into it. So so that that's for a few reasons. Uh, Budget-wise, obviously, we don't have a huge amount of coins. So I can't stretch things out over days and days and days because I simply can't afford to. And also... Mm. I mean, why wait? I mean, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's get this show on the road, you know? I mean, you know. Like, 100%. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, so I just uh, I knock it out as quickly as I can. And, I mean, the quicker it goes up onto the website, the quicker people can enjoy it. So, I mean, that's the whole point, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're, they're really the two reasons why uh, once everything is ready to rock and roll, we smash it out. But it does take a lot of planning and organizing. And there's probably a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't really uh, understand. You know, there's there's little things like, you know, obviously you've got to organise your costumes and your makeup, the locations, you know, that there's a lot of different elements. And then obviously meetings with the different uh, production crew and, and obviously the actors need to be rehearsed quite thoroughly for because of, as we discussed earlier, how I like to shoot my work. So, so yeah, mm. there's quite a bit to, uh, to organise. Obviously props and things like that need to be bought and I've got to do all that sort of stuff myself and obviously when you can't see very well some things can take me a bit longer than it would take other folks I mean for example in this particular piece there's a scene where there's a guy in a tent and so uh, I had to go out and buy a tent because I don't own a tent so I've gone to uh, the local camping supply store and the guy there the, the like the salesman was such a jackass I mean I'm like, you know, I, I explained to him, I work for a production company. I need a tent as a prop. All it needs to do is stay upright. I don't care if it's a crappy tent because it's not being used for any legitimate purposes. And he's trying to sell me like $200 tents and shit. I'm like, buddy, like that's not, it's not going to happen. I mean, if you're going to be a jerk, I'll go somewhere else. Just sell me your cheapest, dodgiest tent. For, and then finally, <laughs> it went down from 200 bucks to 22 bucks. You know what I'm saying? You know, mm. like, it's just little things like that, obviously, uh, can be a bit more painful for me than it would be for the uh, the average Joe, I suppose. Yeah, and I think with that tent part as well is that having a little crappy tent adds to it as well. If if the character in that scene had some sort of big grandiose tent, it wouldn't really fit his character because he's in sort of more the second half-ish of, of the movie where he's uh, talking to that woman and not following her and all that sort of jazz. And I thought I thought that the, the chemistry between those two, ironically, was brilliant. But as in, it was clearly so bad, but that's what you want it to be on screen. So I, I found that with that, some of those actors and things, do you find that... 
when when they click on on screen and things like that, is it quite an obvious thing? Can you see it quite uh, quite quickly, or is it something that with certain ones it takes a bit more uh, oiling of the gears in a sense? Yeah, no, it, you are right. It depends on people's personalities. I mean, some people are really easy. I mean, just generally in life, just generally speaking. I mean, some folks you you bump into and they're real easy going and everything's cool and not a worry and other people are a little bit more uptight and other people uh, uh, everyone's got a different personality so uh with those two with jackson and kira they actually came from the same agency which is more of a coincidence than anything else uh, and and he's actually uh, his job uh, like his nine to five is a uh, acting teacher at a college so uh, mm. yeah so he he's got good experience in that regard and kira is very easy going so those two did click very quickly which was good for me because they uh, they've got two reasonably large scenes together where there's a lot of timing required and a lot of banter so they needed to sort of click nice and quickly for it to for it to work but they're both high quality actors which obviously helps a lot too and they look the number one thing is when I'm casting for any of my films is they've got to be able to understand and get the jokes and if they do then I mean 90% of the work is done then you know whereas if they don't get the jokes, well, obviously they're not going to get the part, but it just, yeah, it, it's just like their delivery is going to be atrocious because they're not understanding the the humour. They're not understanding what I'm going for. But with those two, it was, yeah, piece of cake. Yeah, and something that links into um, the the documentary of yours, which we'll get onto a little bit later, um, in, in the documentary, um, a thing I didn't uh, realise about yourself was that your um, your dad was a sort of famous comedian and all that sort of jazz. And you mentioned in that, documentary that you spoke with him and i think some uh, sort of friends of his who are in the industry about almost the art of comedy in a sense and a lot of the comedic timing and things and i listen to a lot of podcasts with uh, american comedians uk comedians etc lots of different ones across the world and the the one sort of commonality i think just across comedy is something that you do mention in the documentary which is comedy a lot of it is about timing as well as the specific words and it's it's really obviously i know how stringent you are when it comes to editing and scripts and things like that and it's comedy is such a weird thing because it's i think a comedian i spoke to said it where it's the only performance you can do where if you do it badly people question its own genre so if you do like a drama piece and it's bad people don't go god this isn't even drama they just go oh this is crap drama but you know when it's comedy if it's really bad comedy people are like this isn't even comedy like, what? It's... and i think that with that it's like there's so much pressure and weight on being funny and it's trying to be funny is quite a it's quite a hard thing to do i'm sure most people in their general life have said funny things but being actually funny is quite a hard one and so much of it relies on the timing and just yeah just like you use one word in a sentence and not funny at all but if you tweak that word to something a little bit more obscure but and a bit weirder in a sense it can really add to the the impact of the humor if you know what i'm saying yeah no you're, you're absolutely correct i think uh, i believe it was groucho marx who said comedy is a very serious business and uh, mm. yeah, he's quite right because a lot of thought and a lot of uh, work has to go into it to make something funny. I mean, it really does. And I mean, that's why, as, as as we discussed, I mean, that's why I rehearse my actors so stringently and and edit my scripts so particularly is for that exact reason. Because you're quite right. If we, I mean, we've all been to a party where a guy's told a joke or something. And it's like the worst telling of a joke you've ever heard. It's because, I mean, he gets words wrong and his timing's all up the shit and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, everybody's 
met somebody like that, you know. So <laughs> that's why that's why you know you, you got to refine these things and make them as good as they can be. So yeah, that that's why I rehearse the actors so much and. Some of them get it. I mean, understand my reasoning, and some of them get a bit cranky about it. But at the end, well, I suppose at the end of the day, I'm paying them, so they'll do as they're told. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, but no, look, so, some of them get it, and some of them don't. But that's fine. You know, the the bottom line is my job is to make the most entertaining film that I can. And uh, you know, with the, with the last one, how to treat women, I'm really really proud of it you know I, th- I think all the actors did a brilliant job for me I was really really pleased and yeah I, I'm just really thrilled with the final product so yeah yeah I think it's my my favorite of the ones I've seen so far I mean I think they've all been brilliant in their own ways but yeah I think I think the script of this one might be my favorite but I think also something in I find that in this one the satire I find for me personally is so on point because with feminism and you know interacting with women now, because you know the feminism movement and things like that is kind of having a resurgence, and it, it always comes in waves, but it comes and goes and sort of thing. But all normal, reasonable guys generally know how to treat women. You know, it's it's not it's not complicated. It's not difficult. Yeah. So the, the good thing is with your shows, you can push buttons really far because it's so plainly obvious that you're clearly you know mocking it in a sense to being satirical. And I think that with something that's as open as that, you you can then just be. As I say, just as 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 silly as you want to go, because it is that subject matter where you've made it plain and clear how it is satire, rather than I, I mean, if anyone saw that, and thought you were being serious, I do generally worry for them because I think you make it <laughs> perfectly clear. So many points, it's like, no, do not treat women this way. <laughs> well, well, I, I uh, it's funny you should say that because uh, a guy who I know who who watched the film, he he said to me, which I was really pleased about. He said it starts off like the very first sort of paragraph or two is very serious and it starts off how you would expect a film like this to start. But then there's that record scratch moment where something happens, which I won't say, but it's reasonably obvious what happens. And <laughs> all of a sudden you you know now, okay, this is just going to be like 180 degrees in the other direction and this is what we're doing now. So and, and because that sort of record scratch moment is so big at the start, then people, like you say, people all of a sudden now know, okay, this is what we're doing now. And then they can decide whether they find that humorous or not, you know? So, yeah. So, so, and that's obviously that's done on purpose so that, uh, cause like you say, obviously I don't want there to be any confusion about my intent. My intent is to create humor and to have fun. My intent is in no way, malicious or malice there's nothing that i think anybody could interpret as being malicious or malice uh, with with this piece it's just simply like you say just outrageous comedy and having a bit of fun and just poking fun at every aspect of this particular subject and hopefully i mean that's what i go for with all of these mockumentaries that i make that's the sort of aim that i'm going for is to you know like i've said to you before it's important to me to make fun of everything equally and everyone equally and that goes for Myself, I mean, at the end of this particular film, I get myself into quite quite a pickle. But uh, you know, <laughs> just to show that you know I'm a big boy and I can take the jokes as well. So yeah, so that's mm. uh, that, that's that's how I do it. Yeah. And how have you ever had anyone uh, either from the the so obviously for people who aren't aware you released um, you've been sort of in the realm of comedy and stand up comedy all that sort of jazz for a while. You released the documentary, and then after that, you have been releasing mockumentaries. 
Did you find that when you've been releasing these sort of comedy films and things like that after the documentary, did you get anyone, you don't have to name names or anything, but did you get any any backlash or anything? Yes. Um, so I'll give oh. you a, a specific example, which I think is hilarious because <laughs> I just think it is. Uh, so <laughs> there's an agency who I, I won't mention the, the agency, but there's a, a particular talent agency in Brisbane and the woman who runs it obviously is quite the prude. Uh, mm. And so I sent the, one of the scripts for, it was the pornography for, uh, mockumentary that I made on the porn industry. And again, much like this one, it's quite obvious I'm taking the piss, quite obvious <laughs> it's all a joke. There's no harm intended whatsoever, right? So I sent her the script and tell her the brief for the actors that I need. So I needed six different actors. So I gave her the brief for each actor, what I was looking for. And so she gets back to me. And she says uh, that she will not be sending any talent to my productions as I am, quote, a smut peddler, unquote. Wow. And so I told <laughs> I told Simon, my production man, and he told me that for Christmas that year, he was going to get me a T-shirt with smut peddler written on it, which I'm still waiting <laughs> for, by the way, because I think I would proudly wear a T-shirt with smut peddler written on it because I think it's <laughs> one of the best phrases I've ever heard. But just to incredible, just to continue on. So, look, and I'm being serious about this. When it comes to my work, I take my work very seriously because it's my job. It's you know, it's my livelihood. Mm. So I take my films very seriously. And so when I'm casting a film, I want the absolute best actors I can possibly find. So even though this prude of a woman called me a smart peddler, that doesn't mean I'm a mature man. I'm still going to email her when I'm doing a film and ask for actors because you never just know she might get a new staff member in who's not approved and they might send me actors or things change. She might suddenly have a personality transplant and like me. You don't know, <laughs> you know? So I always will send her briefs for, for the films I do. And obviously she ignores me. That's fine. I really don't care, but I'm a big boy. I'm mature. You know, if she wants to do that, she can do that. Anyway, my point is I was struggling to find an actor for a role, not for this film, but for a couple of films ago. It was the personal training film I did, the one about mm. the day in the life of a personal trainer. To find the, the lead character of the personal trainer, I was really struggling to find a really good comedic actress that fit that role. And so I, I called her up and I said to her, did you get my brief? I was just about to say a name then, I can't do that. But I said to her, did you get the brief I sent you? for?" Because... All right, this gives you an insight into my personality type as well because I'm a bit of a dick as well. But anyway, so I called her up and I said, did you get the brief that I sent you? And she said, yes. I said, well, are you going to send out some actors? Nobody on our books fits your brief. I said, oh, so you have no female actors between the ages of 20 and 40 on your books? She said, well, of course we do, but you wanted someone who's fit. I said, oh, so you've only got obese women between the ages of 20 and 40 on your books. She said, no, we have normal-sized women on our books. I said, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I'll wait for your uh, submissions. And she hung up the phone and fair to say I didn't hear from her. But that's okay. <laughs> I think I made my point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing it's just the kind of guy i am i like i mean i just i don't like her attitude so i just like to point out to her that she she's a dick as much as i can but you know that's <laughs> that's just me but look 
at the end of the like I say, at the end of the day, I want to get the best actors I can for for my piece. And so, if uh, if she doesn't want to play ball, that's that's fine. I'll I'll get them from somewhere else. I mean, I've ended up contacting some of her particular actors independently. Like I've Facebook messaged them or whatever because I can see their show reels on her website. And if they're really good, like I said, I want the best actors. So I'll just contact them directly and say, look do you want to come in and do this freelance? And I've had a couple say, yeah, absolutely. And then when the vast mm. why their agent didn't put them forward for it, I tell them the truth. I said, well, she, she doesn't like me or my production company. So she doesn't work with me. So, but I'm happy to work with you and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, but uh, that, that's, uh, but no, that to answer your original question, which I went slightly on a tangent, but to answer your original <laughs> Always question, <welcomed. laughs> yeah. I, I have had like actors and whatnot who, just haven't got the jokes for whatever reason. They don't find them funny or it's just not their style of comedy. So they haven't really, uh, they, they don't uh, connect with the material. And obviously, like I said earlier, if they don't connect with the material, they're not going to deliver it well. So they're not the right person for the job anyway. So there has been some people that uh, don't like my style of comedy and that's totally fine. I mean, at the end of the day, Mike, I mean, comedy, like you said earlier, it's such a subjective thing where, I mean, you could get 100 people in a room and not all 100 people are going to laugh at the same joke. I mean, they're just not. I mean, comedy is probably one of the most subjective art forms there are, you know. So it's just one of those things. Some people are going to really like my stuff and some people aren't. And that's just, uh, that's just how it goes when, when you make comedy films. Yeah, and I find that uh, comedy is one of the ones which I find is it suffers the most from time. So when you get sort of, you know, classic movies and things, I mean, I've got about got 500 DVDs here, so I'm just kind of ha- hoping to find one really subtly without uh, delaying too much. Godfather or, so, you know, something like that, which is an old uh, film. It's a classic and, you know, people, it's quite rare for a film to be noted as a classic and then 10 years later, everyone hates it. That doesn't happen as often. But with comedy, if you watch, um, I think, I'm trying to remember some of the older ones, there's like the film uh, Blazing Saddles and a few others like that, which yeah. are... You know, at the time, it was amazing and hilarious and funny, and I'm not saying they're not funny now, but because of where society's progressed to and the sort of the views on, uh, obviously, I'm not saying racism is funny, but there's a lot of undertones from older films which have these sort of uh, jokes around racial humour which aren't appropriate today. And I'm, and that links in with, that's not the only reason that well, old comedy doesn't sort of work. You know, you watch, if you watch stand-up, some of it is brilliant, but you watch it from like the 80s and things and most of the jokes just do not land because a lot of what comedy is is social commentary and obviously hand-in-hand with social commentary is what you do and and what uh, South Park does, and a lot of these other sort of, some of my favourite uh, comedies do these sort of things, which is the satire of it. And obviously, satire works depending on where society is at that time. If you did the How to Treat Women uh, mockumentary, if you made that, let's say, 100 years ago, no one would find that funny, because 100 years ago, women were treated way worse, and people would think you're actually being serious. <laughs> so it, with comedy, it's, it's a very interesting game, and it's, I mean, I do not envy your position, like being able to, I'm, you're a very talented individual being able to write things that are consistently funny, but I used to do YouTube years ago when I was in college with my friend Reese, and we tried to do like comedy stuff for a while, but trying to do it weekly was a, it was awful. I couldn't, it's so hard to bring up consistent stuff. So it must be quite a tightrope of not only making things present and funny at, at the moment and stuff, but is it in the back of your mind at all that the, the, the comedy doesn't maybe translate in years to come, or is it more just at the moment? That's how it works, and that's fine. Not going to worry too much about it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it is. It is what it is. 
at the time, you know. So I, I wrote uh, the how to treat women bit and I, I thought it was funny. So let's get it done. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you are correct, though, with, with your earlier point. I mean, it was funny you should mention that because I was watching TV the other night and I was just flicking around and Austin Powers was on the TV. Mm. And that was made back in, I think it said it was 1999 because I looked it up. And I, I, the first thing that came to my head was this has not aged well at all. Like, I mean, I remember mm. going to the movie theatre and just laughing so hard and then watching it, like I haven't seen it now for 20 years and watching it back, there's some bits that are still really, really funny, but then there's a few bits and pieces where you're like, yeah, that uh, that that doesn't land anymore. That's not good. And, yeah, you know, so, I mean, that, that was a film that I just saw the other night where I was like, yeah, that, that, that one hasn't aged well. And like you said, Blazing Saddles, I, I can't, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen that in 20 years, so I can't really bring too much of it to my... I'll tell you another one that I saw recently, which, again, probably hasn't aged as well as what I was hoping was The Mask with Jim Carrey from 96. Mm, yeah. That was another one where, at the time, I was just rolling on the floor with laughter. And I watched it the other day, and there's just one or two moments where it's like, oh, that's really not great anymore. <laughs> but, I mean, again, like you say, I mean... We're, we're 2020, that's 25 years ago, which kind of makes me feel really old now. But it just, uh, it, yeah, like, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's 25 years ago, but it is, you know. And, and yeah, that's it, a, a shame about comedy, really. I mean, because as you say, I mean, with music, if you take music for an example, I mean, the Beatles, uh, people still go out and buy Beatles albums. And that was made back in the 60s, you know what I mean? And so, mm. so I mean, music doesn't date as badly i mean that's probably bad english but it doesn't date as badly as what comedy does you know so with comedy you do have to sort of stay on top of your game kind of thing which is why i suppose it goes into another good reason for not uh, dilly-dallying when it comes to getting my scripts made you know we write it down and let's uh, let's knock it out as quickly as we can so yeah because mm. uh, i mean feminism is really the hot button topic of the moment so that's why it was really, I was really eager to get it done nice and quickly to get it out there in the space and let people try and have a bit of a laugh about the subject. Mm, and that's one of the things that I found uh, more recently with uh, with South Park, which is they release episodes um, when they do their runs. That I think they they basically write the, an episode releases, and then the next day they're writing the following episode, and they get it all animated in like within a week. And they do that whenever they release it. So w when the South Park run is on, I think they do ten episodes now. They have like ten or eleven weeks of like really intense releasing, so it is really current. And when you watch it when it, first, when it comes out, like within the same week or two, it is absolutely amazing. But I've shown uh, my girlfriend, Megan, uh, she isn't really into South Park that much, but I've tried to show her certain episodes, which I found really, really good. And a lot of them are timeless because they're about just vague subject matters or things that haven't really aged. But there's a couple of them where I showed her one, I can't remember what it was about, I think it's the, one of the smoking ones. And it's quite early on in South Park. It's, um, and I remember watching it and I was like, oh, this episode's hilarious. And I watched it and I was like, this isn't actually that funny anymore just because of we've moved on so far from the points we're being made in that show. It, it's now, you know, that was only 10, 15 years ago. So it moves so quickly and with like the internet and stuff. I mean, that, I think that's jumped up the speed of the difference, especially in comedy in that sort of, in that realm, if you see what I'm saying. Yes, no, abs absolutely. I, I, I like, I didn't realize until 
uh, a friend of mine about a year or so ago told me about South Park and their quick turnaround. And they, uh, yeah, mm. you're quite right. Within a, in, in a week, they've written and animated an entire episode and it goes up on like the Sunday night on Comedy Central. And then the Monday they're doing the next episode. I mean, it's uh, a huge amount of work and a wonderful achievement for them to be able to pump it out so quickly. And it is, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm probably not as big a fan as you are, but I try and catch as many episodes as I can. And uh, it's still really, really funny. I mean, the last season that I saw, which finished, oh, what, about three, four months ago, that was really, mm. really funny. There was some really funny episodes, you know. It was good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that episode, at present, that's, I think, the most recent series was quite a lot around uh, all the stuff going on uh, in regarding the whole China and Hong Kong protests and all that sort of jazz. And obviously... At present, that's really funny. But like, if I have kids one day, there's certain episodes of South Park I'll be to show them. There's like a World of Warcraft one and a Guitar Hero one, which are just funny ones about video games and stuff. But like that China one, or the, some of the episodes that are more heavily around the stuff around China and Hong Kong, in 10, 15 years, those specific episodes aren't going to be as relevant because it's so honed in on current events. And I think that's another thing that you kind of, as a comedy writer, director, and everything else, is you have to you obviously when you write the script and things you want to make it funny and things and but you can't i imagine with myself i would get tripped up in my own head because i'd be too much thinking okay i need to make this funny but what if it lasts and what if it doesn't and all the stuff and i think that one of the things that you do which makes it so brilliant is as you're essentially the, the person who does everything uh, when it comes to the writing and producing and things it means that you've got your one vision. And I find that a lot of the time when you get someone who's a creative individual with their one vision, it it's really good to just kind of leave them to it. And I found that when I've heard interviews with actors, especially of comedy films and things, and a movie bombs, nine times out of 10, they say, oh yeah, well, the director or the writer or whoever had these really good visions, but the you know film production company came in and tweaked this and changed that and tweaked this and changed that. And eventually the film that got released was nothing like the original film they wanted so at least you being the independent creator you obviously don't have as much uh, budget as with some of these big studios but i suppose in that regard at least you're kind of you get to do it how you want and you don't have anyone breathing down your neck well that, that's precisely correct i mean that is the advantage of what i do so i mean i don't have anybody saying that joke's inappropriate you can't do that or the number one thing which i i really like is no one's telling me how long something can be so a lot mm. of the actors i've worked with because they're are used to doing more commercial work, their first question is, you know, how long have we got? What, what does this have to be a certain length and all that sort of stuff? And I tell them, you know, a joke takes however long it takes to tell correctly. So don't rush. Don't you just do it properly because there's nobody telling us everything has to be done. Like it's not like a TV show where it has to be 42 minutes and you're out, you know, we're, we're good. So it takes however long it takes. So, when I'm writing the script, I don't have a worry in my mind about how long something's going to be. I just go for a feel. That feels like it's a good length, so that's what it's going to be. So, I mean, we discussed the uh, the opening scene of encouragement earlier on, and uh, that just felt like, I mean, it's a long, long walk to the eventual tag. I, I fully admit that. But in my mind, it has to be a long, long walk to get to that tag, or the tagline just isn't funny. So going back to your original point, that's absolutely one of the great advantages of what I do is I can produce the work that I want with no interference. And that means hopefully people out there get a far better product because there's nobody, you know, dipping their fingers in and telling me what I can and can't say and what I can and can't do. 
Hundred percent, and um, still uh, keeping within the realms of comedy a bit. I want to ask: um, Do you? I know. I know that you're always planning ahead, and you've got lots of things uh, in the pipeline. Are there any subject matters which you're thinking of doing comedy films for going forward that you've kind of maybe come up in the future? If you'd rather not talk about them and you want to keep them under wraps, that is a hundred percent cool. I just thought I'd inquire to see if there's any subject matters you haven't yet tackled that you're kind of thinking about. Well, uh, in regards to the mockumentaries, actually, what we're going to do next is a little bit different. So I did about three years ago. So it was before I'd met your good self. I did seven Mm. episodes of like a fake chat show where I'm the host of a chat show and I'm interviewing a like a fake celebrity. So and I did seven episodes. Mm. So we had like, for example, we had an English pop star who was like a Russell Brand kind of a character. And that was like the Robbie Pockets interview. And then we've got another one where I'm interviewing a, uh, a mystic and that was the Gypsy Diamond interview. So there were seven different interviews. And so the next couple that I'm going to do, I'm going to go back to doing a few more episodes of that because I was sitting on a couple of other little scripts and ideas with the with those interviews. So I thought we'll, uh, we'll get that uh, sort of TV series back up and happening and do sort of like a, a season two of that because – the first seven episodes I did were quite popular, so I figured uh, I always wanted to get back and do a few more. So, uh, yeah, so the, the next couple will be that, and then we'll see uh, what I might do in regards to another mockumentary or two because, I mean, it is a little bit difficult at the moment. I, I was kind of – when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, I was kind of struggling to come up with a subject matter for a mockumentary because, I mean, I've done porn and prostitution and the environment and – and now feminism and drugs. And I've done so many subjects that I was kind of finding it a little bit difficult to find a hot button topic. So I thought if I give it a rest for six months to a year and then see see what comes to me and do a few little other things in, in the meantime. So, yeah, because, uh, I mean, uh, I've got to wait for people to get uh, pissed off about something, I suppose, and then I can make fun of it. <laughs> yeah, I've heard um, that's, that's a really good thing to do of – you know, when you get, I mean, I get with lots of different things, even to video games or just writing, you know, doing work for coursework from school or college or whatever, which I haven't been involved in for many years. But um, when it comes to sometimes you may hit a bit of a wall in a sense. And it's like, I've had it before. Where I've been sat there trying to figure something out about whatever. Um, and I'm stuck on it for ages and thinking and, and, and I just kind of get a bit loopy about it and then i go you know what i'm just gonna take a break for a day a week whatever and then normally as soon as you take a break you have an hour away away an hour or two away from it and then you just get flooded with all these great ideas because obviously especially where you're saying you're going to be uh aiming to produce more of those sort of interviewee style uh mock uh shows it will be I'm, i've no doubt when you're writing them and getting them all sorted so many other things are going to sort of pop up that didn't seem obvious when you were sort of writing how to treat women and after that but they'll flag up little sparks of ideas i'd say oh absolutely 100 percent. and i mean there still will be i mean if people jump onto the beer nuts productions website they can see the uh, seven episodes of the chat show that we've done and they'll uh, i mean there's little satirical points in there as well i mean you know we're making fun of uh, you know like if you take the uh, the Robbie Pockets interview with the uh, the rock star. I mean, we're we're completely ripping apart the uh, you know the music rock star Russell Brand kind of a character. We're absolutely tearing that apart. So I mean, and we do that with all of the the seven interviews. Take I mean, we've got one with with an act, a fake actress, and then we've got a soccer star, 
football star that, uh, you know, the Jimmy Poodle, one is a soccer star, and then obviously politics. We've got a, the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations I interview. So, you know, so, I mean, it's uh, it's the same kind of stuff, you know, just still still making fun of something, but just in a different sort of way, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And um, I think I'd be now kind of moving on a little bit. I think I'd be remiss uh, to be speaking with my favourite Australian and not talk about the uh, the bushfires uh, that you've been having over there. And obviously, when America has almost anything happen, the whole world is watching. When the UK has staff, more Europeans kind of watch it and stuff, especially with the whole Brexit drivel. But then it kind of fizzles. With Australia, I've found that, especially from the American perspective, we don't really hear that much about what's going on over there you don't generally hear that much in the news you get the old story here and there and stuff but i think the bushfires was definitely the biggest one at least in my memory for quite a long time where all eyes were on australia so i want to ask sort of with you and living on australia what what was it like i don't know the like obviously australia is a gigantic place so was it a case of are you were you near the fires or could you tell there were fires because i know there are photos from all across that there was smoke everywhere and stuff just kind of it, what was your experience being an Australian when all the bushfires and whatnot were going on? Yeah, so when they started back in December, they actually started uh, reasonably close to where I am. So I'm mm. uh, on the Gold Coast and they were sort of surrounding the Gold Coast. So we're in a very suburban place, so the Gold Coast is never going to burn down. But all the surrounding bushland of the Gold Coast was burning and then all the fires moved south. So from December through January, we had like crippling smoke. So terrible, terrible smoke haze. It was like springtime in Beijing. It was just terrible. So uh, I'm an asthmatic, a very mild asthmatic. But so my asthma was terrible. I mean, and I'm a really mild asthmatic. And so they were telling people not to go outside even, you know, if you can avoid going outside, please do. Because I mean, we're in the guts of summer. It's very hot. It's very humid. And now you've got this crippling smoke haze where there were some days where you couldn't see a couple of hundred metres in front of you for smoke. It was just, it was terrible. But uh, I didn't cop it that badly because, like I say, in December is when we had our fires and then they all moved down south. And then around New South Wales and Victoria, they were 100 times worse than what we had it. So uh, we still got the smoke haze from them, but uh, we didn't get the uh, the fire damage that they got down south. So... Yeah, we, we were kind of lucky, I suppose, in regards to uh, where I'm at. We didn't get the fire damage, but we definitely did get the smoke haze. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was brutal. I mean, it was apparently they're the, the hottest bushfires, as in like the heat of the fire itself was the hottest on record. They spanned the most kilometres. Like there was one fire that was burning for and it was out of control and it was over 100 kilometres in length. I mean, that is, that's almost unfathomable. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm trying to put it in context. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, to. It's it's such a huge place, isn't it? It's it's so big. It's almost impossible to even think about in your head how big it is. Well, yeah, 100 kilometres would be what it's uh, one and a half k's to a mile. So it's, it's about 60 miles long. Mm. So, and that's just one fire. There was like 50 burning. That's just one. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's terrible. I know. It, it, it was, uh, yeah. So it, it was it was really brutal. But like I say, luckily, we're a bit uh, north of where all the damage happened. But to some of the footage you see on the TV, 
of like the because the smoke haze was so bad and the fires were so close there were some towns where at like midday it looked like midnight the sky was just black because you couldn't see the sky you could there was no sun there was no it was it was pitch black at like one in the afternoon because there was just and just a, a red glow it was like something out of a horror film it really was it was uh yeah some of the footage was quite disturbing actually and obviously there were some towns that were very old as in like you know world heritage listed buildings and stuff that just went up in in smoke and uh there was a bit actually last night they did a uh, charity football game to raise a lot of money and they they were showing some of the sport like country sporting clubs that have just been raised to the ground there's just rubble where they used to be like as people would know out there that live in smaller communities i mean the sporting clubs like whether it be cricket or football or whatever it is that's sort of the heart of the community everybody goes down there and has a beer or their kids play sport there you know that's kind of the 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 center of a small community is the local sporting ground and to have their clubhouse just burnt to the ground and there's nothing left i mean there was a really sad clip of uh, a, a young lad he would have only been 10 or 11 and he was uh, he was very upset because his uh, football team had won the shield that year and of course it got destroyed it got you know destroyed in the fires along with everything else and he's like you know he's only 11 so he's only a young fella and he doesn't quite understand so it's you know but for him it's like this was the pinnacle of his life because him and his mates won the like the under 11s for the state and the shield that they won is now no more it got destroyed along with all of their gear and everything else so you know it's little things like that that people probably don't think about which they probably should because it's always you know the like as it always is in life i suppose it's always the little guy that cops it not the big guy you know what i mean yeah, I completely agree with you there. Like a lot of these, you know, any a lot of the big businesses have had whatever burned down. They'll probably have insurance and things to be able to cover it, and it will cause some delays. But generally, I think a lot of the, especially the huge ones, won't be as affected. But you know, you get some, you know, as you say about the the young footballer, um, and obviously all his uh, sort of football friends and the people who work there and all that jazz as well. Mixed with, you know, if you do get these small communities, as you said, you've just got, you know, Bob's Bakery or whatever, who's just a family-run bakery that's got no other desire to spread out or be a franchise or anything, just this nice little local place, and that gets burned down. And it's just like, as you say, the little man does uh, does suffer the most. But other bushfires, um, I saw something online where they generally seem to be more uh, in control now. Is that the general sort of the feel of Australia now, like the worst, hopefully, uh, is now gone? Well, actually, that's now the problem. So the fires are out and they're out because we just got flooding rains come through. And the problem when it rains heavily is you need grass to soak up the rain, but there's no grass because it's just all blackened ash. So the, mm. so everything floods really quickly because there's nothing to soak up the water. So, yeah, it put out the fires, so there's now no more fires. But now there's been communities that have been cut off with floodwaters because there's nothing to soak up the water because all the earth has been burnt away. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's just one disaster to another. And then, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's global warming 101. I mean, this is, this is what they tell us climate change is all about. I mean, we had the worst bushfires on record. There's, I mean, there's no one denying that. They're the worst bushfires that... Australia has ever seen full stop and then it was followed by flooding rain so yeah it mm. uh, the 
Australian landscape has really copped to battering over the last uh, three or four months, no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, that is really sad to hear. And uh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, it does, not to get too overly political on things, but um, obviously you've done a uh, sort of mockumentary thing about climate change and stuff. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, I don't, I try not to be preachy on the show or uh, too much or anything like that, but it is when people are still denying it and things and you're like, but what what everyone has warned us is the cause of climate change is the seasons all get a bit fucked and in england i can tell you for sure that is the case at the moment where we're having a day where it's bright hot sunshine and then within 15 minutes it's torrential rain and completely dark and i've spoken to like my sort of older uh, members of the family who remember and they're like yeah it didn't used to be like this we used to actually have seasons of summer and winter and stuff but now they kind of merge together that mixed with all these big natural disasters that seem to keep occurring it's like well what do people who are denying climate change actually think is going on? Do you think that huge amount of fires and then with in droughts and then flooding is normal? Like the, it's not. There's things that are being caused here that clearly, when people are telling you we keep doing this, all the natural disasters are going to get worse, and then we don't stop doing this, and then the natural disasters get worse, and they're like, nah, it's not climate change. So, well, what what could it be? What do you think it is? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, oh. it, it it is it is. I mean, at some point. Uh, some just basic common sense needs to be applied, really. And again, just going back to to my work and what I do, I mean, mm. I mean, I kind of make fun of things, but at its heart, I'm sort of saying to people like this. I guess the underlying message is just use more common sense. I mean, the mockumentary I did about the environment. I mean, I'm taking the piss out of both left wing people and right wing people, so I make fun of both sides equally. But I think the underlying message is just use basic common sense. And with with the last film, The How to Treat Women, I think the basic, uh, if there's any kind of underlying message to it, is just if you use common sense, everything will be okay. You know what I mean? So <laughs> That's amazing. You should put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth, though, man. I mean, it just- is. People act like dickheads, and it's. I find it. Uh, I get so frustrated with the the general community. People laugh at me because, like, someone who I don't even know that well will say something really stupid, and like, I can't let it go. And people are like, "You don't even know that person. Just forget about it. They're dead to you. You'll never see them again." And I'm like, "But he said this, and it's so stupid, and it just..." It just frustrates me, and I get all irritated. It's really quite funny. Oh yeah, I, I'm the same as that. Yeah, I, I get the same. I I bit my tongue about. I can bite my tongue about certain issues, but when there's certain things that really you know rub me up the wrong way, I, I am just like yourself. It's like people are like just let it go. It's like, oh, but they piss me off so much. Like oh, I want to tell them about how stupid they are, but trying to do it in a sort of productive way in in, in a sense. Um, I, I want to see. Uh, just before we sort of uh, move on a little bit, is, is there anything else, because um, we're going to change gear a bit, is there anything else you want to add about more directly the, the comedy stuff or how to treat women before we'll just sort of move more to uh, chat about the documentary for a little bit? I don't know if there's anything else you want to add before I kind of move on. Oh, just, just hopefully people uh, download a copy and they uh, they get a laugh like you did. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. I'm here to entertain the masses, so hopefully... Uh, People uh, jump onto beernutsproductions.com and uh, download a copy of How to Treat Women. And all, all of our films are up there. So we've got 18 films now, which is pretty cool. So people can flick through. If they don't want to watch How to Treat Women, they can go through our back catalogue and see if there's something else that might appeal to them. So, yeah, all 18 films are up there on the Beer Nuts Productions website. And just uh, 
go click over and uh, see what you like and hopefully download it and have a good laugh. And that's the end of the episode. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Uh, Next week will be essentially the second part of the chat with Goff, but I wanted to release it as a standalone episode because you don't have to listen to this part to fully appreciate the next part. So that's what I try and do when I do an extra long conversation. If I can split it, I do try and do that and try and have them standalone episodes where possible. But obviously sometimes it just doesn't really make any sense to split two episodes if the first half hasn't been spoken about. So that's basically what you can look forward to next week. Now, the week after that will be, I believe, the part one of my chat with Frank Burton. Um, His promo was the one that was played at the start of this episode for his book, Everything I Am. Uh, We speak about that because he kindly sent me a copy of the book before its release, so I managed to get through it. Um, I actually listened to the audiobook version, uh, which Frank does all himself, and it is is really, really, really good. Uh, I've included a link in the description to his band camp. It is an ask your price, uh, name your price, rather. So you can basically pay whatever you want for it. You don't have to pay anything if you don't want to i would recommend sending something if you're going to download it even if it's just like a quid or a dollar or whatever your currency is just one of those and yeah go check that out because in the following weeks that is when we have more of a deep dive into it if you missed out last week's episode, I released a special about my new show called Star Wars Comics in Canon. Uh, essentially, I just talk about comics, which are well, Star Wars canon comics and things. I try and do each episode, at the moment more so as sort of around certain characters. So I've done one about Darth Maul, I've done one about Kylo Ren, I'm doing one about C-3PO and how he got his red arm next week. And I think I might do one about Captain Phasma and how she survived Starkiller base exploding and then showed up in The Last Jedi. So I'm just basically, the Star Wars comics in canon is looks into not only the comics themselves that are sort of the primary thing looking through a comic book lens but I like to give a bit of extra information a bit of weight and a bit of just more stuff to chew on really when it comes to certain characters so the Darth Maul one I didn't get into any spoilers regarding Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels or anything like that I just gave a brief overview of his general life and where the comics kind of come into that because two of the comics are before the Phantom Menace two of them are after the Phantom Menace and I just kind of explained that a bit so if you're really into Star Wars and you've only really seen the films and maybe a bit of the series here and there maybe a book or two um, I would recommend checking out my show because it's it's aimed to be not only a good way for people to get into the sort of realm of the expand the wider star wars universe but it is also any veterans of star wars or people who do already consume a lot of content there may be a bit of content that you missed or there may be just certain things where you've read loads of comics over the years and it hasn't all quite married up and that's kind of what i'm trying to do is even if comics have come out spanning over the last few years try and almost connect the dots a little bit and uh, the week before that, I released a normal episode, which was part two of my chat with the guys from the In The Black podcast. If you haven't gone and checked that out, I really recommend it because part one and two of my chat with the guys from In The Black is one of my favorite all-time podcasts. Um, and their podcast itself, the In The Black podcast, is my favorite. It is one of, if not my favorite, indie podcasts. So can't recommend going out and checking those episodes out any more than I already do. Um, the only other things really to add guys is that obviously due to the coronavirus and stuff the recording has eased off a little bit I had a couple of things planned to record I planned to record an episode with my mate Reese, but we didn't get to do that I had plans to record an episode with a gentleman who owns uh, float labs down here which are isolation tanks and things like that I want to chat with him that is still to my knowledge going ahead but currently if anyone is in the western world you know that 
the coronavirus is causing people to go on lockdown and not see each other as much and things and i'm working from home and so is megan so we only really go at the house once a day just for like a run or like a little walk or something to get some fresh air so we can't really do podcasts with other people unless it's over skype and things now i do often do that but i've been specifically not trying to plan too much ahead because i'm trying to not get myself too booked up and then i find that if you plan with people podcasts months and months in advance a lot of the time they just forget about it and then they end up cancelling and it leaves me with like an open spot so what i'm thinking about doing is me and megan megan really wants to come on the show again because we've been playing animal crossing a lot recently and she absolutely loves it and wants to talk about it which is cool Uh, she hasn't played an animal crossing game before i have and it's very addictive it's very fun but it's very addictive uh so we're planning on doing one of those in the coming weeks and just talking about general isolation what we've been kind of getting up to maybe some tips for couples who are in isolation with what you can kind of do with each other to kind of not rip each other's throats out um and then uh, a friend of mine, Tony Farina, who's been on the show before, he is, uh, I'm looking to have him on the show again at some point soon too. Um, I also want to say with the Star Wars Comics and Canon show that I have, that is on the Comics in Motion podcast feed. Comics in Motion are guys that I'm good friends with. Um, we've done a lot of collaborations together around the end of last year when we did the sort of rise, uh, run up to the Rise of Skywalker, the Star Wars sort of collaboration project with uh, the guys from Comics in Motion and 20th Century Geek. So we got talking after that and that's how my show basically got started. I didn't really want to take on a whole new show because it's a lot of work and things and they're trying to build up like a almost a network in a sense. So they've got my show that comes out on a Saturday, their main flagship show, which is about comics and movies, that's on the Sunday. Uh, and then you've got two other shows coming out, which is Max Burns' Mandatory Marvel in DC and then also Tony Farina's Indie Comics Spotlight, which is all about indie comics and stuff. I have also guested on Tony Farina's Indie Comics Spotlight. That episode has been recorded but i believe it's going to be released towards the end of april um and there's a chance that when i record an episode with tony that the episode i release will come out around the same sort of time as that or at least it may be recorded around that time so a lot of little collaborative projects going on um oh i also featured in the ask win podcast i was interviewed by win uh she is someone who's got cerebral palsy and she has a different person on like every day and is releasing absolutely loads of content i don't know how she manages to (laughs) have all the time for that so i was on her show as well so i've been on the friends in your ears podcast i've been on the ask win podcast and i'm also going to be showing up on the indie comics spotlight podcast coming up soon as well there's another one in the sort of pod uh, in the sort of podcast pipeline but that's been rescheduled and stuff so i don't know how sure that's going to be going forward but that's basically it from me guys with everything i am up to i really appreciate all of you guys listening especially right to the very end it's a lot of fun um oh i did a bit of voice acting work recently as well so that's going to be in an episode of something coming up uh in the pod realm podmosphere in the coming months but regardless thanks as always for tuning in guys i really appreciate you all listening especially this far um review on itunes like and follow on all the usual social media places instagram twitter and facebook leave a review on itunes if you believe uh, believe it deserves it and also the best thing about the show for me is if you guys spread it like uh spread it by word of mouth tell your friends about it uh, send it to people on social media and if this is your first time listening i really appreciate you giving this show a go with all the different podcasts that are out there but also it may be worth delving into the back catalog because there's been such a wide variety of guests that if you enjoyed this chat go back and listen to some of the other ones with goff uh, as i said episodes i think it's episode 48 and 65 um, i'll include the specific ones in the description but Go check out the other ones of Goff, see if you like them, and then maybe check out some of the other podcasts I've done and 
yeah, go from there. Anyway, guys, I hope all of you are staying safe in the lockdown and that you're all making sure that you call each other, do it via FaceTime or Facebook Messenger video, or just picking up the phone and calling people even without video. It is really important that people stay connected and that especially the people who are by themselves in isolation or people who do suffer with mental health quite a lot, anyone who's less uh, sort of stable, anyone who's more vulnerable, make sure you're checking in on them. Just a simple phone call and just chat with them for 10 minutes for what you've been up to. That can really, really change someone's day. And I'm lucky enough to be living with Megan, who's amazing, and we are both fine in isolation for the time being, but there's lots of people I know who aren't. And I'm trying to make an effort with them, but you know, if we all can make an effort with each other, it will just make the world a better place, especially in a time like this where there's a lot of bad around. So, you know, sending love to all you guys affected by the coronavirus, whether it's simply being locked in and everything's a bit inconvenient, if you've had any job issues, or God forbid, if any of your family members are ill, uh, I send you all my love and things. And yeah, I hope you guys are all doing okay. And as the months go by, fingers crossed things get better. But that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, creating more content, not trying to delve on the coronavirus too much because I'm sure a lot of people are sick of hearing from it. So there we are. Thanks as always, guys. Appreciate each and every one of you. And I'll talk to you all next week.